Canucks Central Thursday. Dan Riccio, Satyar Shaw. We are a presentation of your local Grip Auto entire location. Friendly service and expert advice are waiting for you at gripauto.ca today. A lot to come on the program. Eric Francis is going to join us. Justin Bourne, Sam Cosentino is going to join us as well as we have a lot of hockey to get into on the eve of the first heat wave here in Vancouver. Yeah, I, I guess it's, it is a heat wave. Is it a heat wave? It's, even it's not if it's, yet. If it's, it's not like, yet a heat wave. No, it's not. It's supposed to start not even tomorrow, really. Like 20, Saturday, yeah. Yeah, 23, 24 isn't really a heat wave. No. High 20s, low 30s is a mm-hmm. heat wave. That's, I will say, though, it, it even though 20, it's like 20 or 19, it feels hotter than that. <laughs> Uh, there's a little bit of a breeze today. Uh, I noticed because I uh, I let the calves out, you know. Oh, and I, I noticed. Wore shorts today. I noticed. Yeah. I noticed that you uh, decided to grace us all with your lovely calves. I know they're gorgeous. It's true. Uh, um, it, it just felt like, I, I kind of feel like I'm at the stage where I'm trying to will warm weather into existence. And it's it's kind of been here for the last couple of days, but. Is it happening for real you? Real warm weather. So like, are, I want to, you know, get. Go swimming kind of mm. warm. So are you saying we should be crediting you with the incoming heat wave? Yes. You wheeled it into existence. 100%. All right. If you think it, it will happen. <laughs> All right. Credit to Dan Riccio. Isn't that the law of attraction or something like that? You know, I suppose to some degree. I'm not sure how scientific it really is. <laughs> Very true. Uh, so we've got a lot to get to today. And we've spent a lot of time talking about JT Miller, talking about Bo Horvat, but Brock Besser is due a qualifying offer of seven and a half million bucks next Saturday. Yeah. And outside of, you know, Darren Dreger mentioning a couple of days that Brock's name has started to end up in the trade rumor mill again, like we haven't really heard a ton of what exactly is going on with Brock Besser. Yeah, it's really interesting because over the past 24 hours, I've had a series of discussions with different people uh, about the Brock Besser situation. At one point last night during the show, I got a text and I turned to you. It was during the break towards the end of the show. I'm like, mm-hmm. this person really thinks Brock is getting traded. Like, And Ooh. you know, and, and I'm like, I'm not sure about this. And I, and I was yeah. following it up last night and talking to people today. My understanding is that there aren't any ongoing contract discussions okay. with Besser That's and a bit of a red Canucks. flag. I mean, considering July 2nd is coming up. Now, the reason it wouldn't be a red flag, it yep. could be. The reason it would not be a red flag is something that we've talked about in the past that there seems to be middle ground to be had mm-hmm. on a Besser contract. Initial discussions, I think, from the from Besser's camp would probably be like they want to be in the seven range because his qualifying offer is to be seven point five million. So it's easier for them to look at and probably say, "Hey, we want seven per year. We want on two years, fourteen, three years, twenty-one, or something, something along those lines." Yeah, well, maybe a bit more. What, what they've the, got the leverage because you know they know that the Canucks don't want to lose the player for free. So if anything, you got a seven and a half million dollar one year deal mm-hmm. to fall back on. So. I believe there is middle ground to be had if both parties want to make a deal in the six million range on right. a two or three year deal. I think it's there to be had. The question is, why aren't you engaging that now to get it done with considering July 2nd is coming up? 
Probably because you want to figure out what JT Miller is doing first. Right. You know, during the season, how we talk so much about it all comes down to Elias Pettersson. Mm-hmm. Whatever the Canucks do this season, whatever happens, comes down to Elias Pettersson. This offseason, it all comes <laughs> down to JT Miller. It's not Pettersson. It all comes down to JT Miller. To some degree, what you ultimately do with JT or are planning to do with JT is really going to dictate what you end up doing with Brock Besser. But I do think it's interesting that even though there are rumors out there, and I don't know what to make from I can't sit here and say he's going to get traded right. or whatever. But as far as I know, it's not like there there's any real discussions going on right now. It feels as though um, they, they haven't really prioritized Brock so far. And that's kind of interesting. You know, he is in his mid-20s. We know what Brock has from a potential standpoint. All of these things add up that you want to keep Brock. He's more in line with the age group of your other young yeah. core players. Exactly. And the other thing, too, is Brock's been through a lot yeah. this year. And I think for there's been a reason why there hasn't been a lot of discussion. Of course, yeah. you know, I think that's part of it as well. But you are getting to the point now where you have to make a decision because July 2nd is coming up for the qualifying offer. Yeah. Because I don't think, even though Jim Rutherford said we have space to give the seven and a half million qualifying offer and do that. I don't think that's something they want to do. Yeah. And if you don't feel like you're going to be able to, or you don't feel good about the number on a two or three year deal, whatever it is, maybe you don't even feel good about six. I don't know. I can't sit here and say what the Canucks would do. I just know that there is a middle ground there to be had if you really, really want it on both sides. But the question for me comes down to, you're not making that offer right now until you kind of figure out what else is going on. I don't think. Because if I think if you make, unless you have an idea, unless you know that we're going to make a two or three year deal that makes sense for us and we're talking and the qualifying offer is made, but we have an understanding to not accept it and we'll keep talking and hammer this deal out. Otherwise, once you make the qualifying offer, why wouldn't Brock just take it? That's part of the problem here. You know, Jim Rutherford mentioned, yeah, we'd be, we'd, you know, if we, we'd be, We'd be willing to do the seven and a half million dollar qualifying offer. What else? What else is he supposed to say in that moment? No, you got to maintain leverage. You're not. You can't. You can't lose the player for free. That's too good of a young player to just let walk. And on a seven and a half million dollar qualifying offer, you see what Brock has to give you for one year. What What is surprising here is, you know, hearing Brock's camp is sort of playing hardball with this. Uh, all I've ever heard is Brock really wants to stay in yeah. Vancouver. Like, really wants to stay in Vancouver. And that's why I do believe eventually there is common ground should the Canucks really want yeah. to find that and really work towards getting yeah. to that common ground. All I know is there isn't a deal imminent and yeah. things haven't gone sideways because yeah. there isn't much happening, at least so far. Now, maybe that changes this weekend, you know, because this is a time you want to make those discussions and maybe you want to hammer something out next week. Maybe this is the time to engage mm-hmm. and figure that out here. But but the clock is ticking because as much as we were sitting here and talking about the draft and as much as we talk about the start of free agency, for Brock, that decision is coming up a lot sooner. Yeah. One of the things about this from Brock's perspective that I find curious is, okay, let's say a three-year deal around $20 million total money ends up on the table. Which is roughly $6.33 million per year. That brings you to, after your first contract, essentially making a little bit more than $36 million, $37 million. Um, which, you know, we, we think back to when that original contract discussion was going on and the little bit of a holdout he had and the whole, 
six by six conversation um, was happening in that summer for Brock coming out of his mm-hmm. entry level contract that did not end up getting signed. It brings him to a spot where he essentially made that up. And I wonder about this because Sat, as much as I like Brock as a player, how much more is he really going to earn? How much? I get bet on yourself. Yeah. But where is Brock betting on himself to? An extra million bucks a year? I, I don't. All due respect to Brock, I don't see him as an eight-plus million-dollar player. I don't see him getting to that range. Philip Forsberg is 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 talking about leaving nine million dollars on the table in Nashville. He's a forty-two goal scorer. Like, is Brock going to get to be the forty-goal scorer that we may have projected him out to be after his rookie season? I just I don't see it. I see him evolving as a different player. Maybe he hits seventy points with thirty goals. That's nice. That's still not an eight million-dollar player. Though. Well, I think if if he hits forty and does it, I mean, he can get the Jeff Skinner contract. Right. If he has a couple 40 goal years, it's possible. Yeah. I don't know if that's going to happen, but that's the high point. I think you're right in saying, what is the high point of what Brock could probably earn as a player? Now that we've seen him, mm-hmm. probably eight. Yep. You would say that's probably the high point of what he's going to earn. The biggest question, I think, and the biggest factor for Brock's camp, it probably comes down to the, num- the, the another term I've used a lot, total money, but to a lesser degree, how many years of UFA do you pass on? And he hasn't signed a contract yet beyond three years. I think he would really like to set himself up to sign a long-term contract at some point. That that may be more important to him, the mm-hmm. term, as opposed to what the what AAV the, yeah. is, right? That may matter more, but the Canucks are not in a position, I don't think, where they're willing to do a long-term deal. Yeah, And if you're Brock's camp, then the sooner you get to UFA, the better it is, because that's your better chance of getting that long-term contract, mm-hmm. potentially. And when you also factor in that last time, Besser had a chance to sign a longer-term deal and was advised not to, ends up with a three-year deal, now he's in another spot. How much is there? How much pressure does the agent feel to make sure you get as much as possible because the right. deal didn't quite work out the way you wanted last time? He still got paid decently. It's not like it was bad money. The qualifying offer is nice. It worked out all right. But it's different when you're looking at an offer that may have been in anywhere from 36 to 40 some million. Yeah. And you end up signing a contract worth less than, you know, about 17 million. That's a big difference. And now you're looking at maybe you sign a one year, seven and a half, maybe two years, 14 or two years, 12. It's a lot of money, but you understand what you could have had versus where you're at now. And how much does that factor in from the agent's perspective? Uh, Even, you know, uh, a three-year deal, though, is essentially another bet-on-myself type of contract because... He'll, he'll be 28 when he hits UFA. Exactly. You perform on those three years, you get to go to unrestricted free agency mm-hmm. still before your 30th birthday with a pretty good track record. Yeah. Right? And, you know, I, yes, I still don't think he's going to end up being an $8 million player on the open market, but could he be a seven, seven and a half type? if he gets close to a point a game in one of the one or two of those seasons or has a really strong contract year, kind of similar to what he did last year in the bubble. Now, those are things that are potential outcomes for mm-hmm. Brock. But again, I just I don't know if I see Brock being the eight plus million dollar player that really can hit a home run in free agency a couple of years from now. No, and you know, I see Tyler makes a point on text inbox about Besser is just like Toffoli, but what was the money for him at his age? And Toffoli was making less, but the issue here is his price range is different because of what he was getting paid. 
if you want to keep Brock Besser, you can't sign him for less than six million. Yeah, that's just not going to happen. And if and if and if he's not going to be willing to do that based on his leverage, he's going to get traded. Mm-hmm. And the other question is, if you sign Besser to a three-year deal, that may make sense, and I think that's great value. If it's if it's if it's a twenty million dollar deal, that's six point six six per year, which I think is higher than where Vancouver would want to go. And that's my guess. I think six point one to six point two is three or so, maybe. They would be willing to do, perhaps. Yeah. But I think the bigger question is, do they want to lock in to Miller and Horvat long-term and then have Besser for the next three years as well? Plus, you got to pay Pedersen. It just means you're locking up a lot of guys. Even though it's only three years, you are yeah. kind of... You're locking you're, into a core that's fell short anyhow. Yeah, you're really locking into the roster for the next three years. And do you want to do all that in the same offseason? That may be the other factor that comes in here. But again, to bring it all full circle to why we're talking about Brock Besser... I think to a large degree, his future really hinges on what happens with JT. And I think that's why there hasn't been any substantive movement on getting a contract done yet. So that brings me to two thoughts. Does this mean the Canucks are more optimistic about getting JT Miller done on a contract? I don't, I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't say that. Yeah. I mean, uh, yesterday or the other, other day, uh, other day I mentioned, I think it's actually 50-50 whether he stays and goes. And I think that's higher than mo- what would most would anticipate. Maybe I'm overplaying it a little bit. Yeah. Maybe it's less than that. But that's how I feel based on my discussions and based on what I understand. And I don't want to cop up. But I think 50-50 actually says there's, there, there's a good chance he stays. Yeah. And considering where the discussions were six months ago, 50-50 in almost July would seem like a pretty different... Things would have moved a lot in yeah. these six months, and I think they have. I just think that it ultimately comes down to when they really start getting into the numbers, is JT willing to take six years as term? Yeah. Is he willing to take less than $60 million in total money? Because I don't think Vancouver's going to hit $60 million. Is he willing to take something? That, again, it comes down to the 50 range. And I don't know if they're really willing to put that out there. I think they're going to give him an offer to, to really consider. Is it going to be in the 50s? Will it be in the 40s? But I think they want to try to make it happen. But if you keep JT... You keep Bo, there probably isn't room for Brock. Yeah, that is really hard to see how Brock would be able to fit in, especially at where his his qualifying offer is and where even a three year deal projects out around you know six and a half or just short of six and a half million dollars. Should they be able to work something like that out? It it's just too hard, you know. And if if Brock is bargaining for let's say seven million over two years, what does that mean for Bo Horvat? Yeah. You know, Your are, are you gonna be able matters, to, yeah. yeah. Are you gonna be able to get that hometown discount on Horvat who's just coming off a thirty one goal season and saying, yeah. Wait, you gave him seven? And I'm not worth seven? So it it does really create a conundrum for Alvin and, and Jim Rutherford, but this is really I think after Kuzmenko gets done, Miller has to be the priority right now. And, yeah. you know, given or at the least ru- figuring out what you want to do right. with, with JT, given the rumors that are happening around the league, it seems like once again, it's, it's almost like touching yeah. base and seeing what teams are willing to do, what some of those contenders who missed out on the, you know, who, who failed in the playoffs are, are thinking about and how they feel about acquiring JT Miller. We've heard about Carolina. We've heard about New yeah. York. We've heard about all these teams. So it's maybe doing some of the groundwork on that. And then also figuring out where that number really ends up for JT. Looking at the situation with JT and lo- a lot of the reporting we've heard recently from Ian McIntyre and Rick Dollywall mentioning that, y- you know, it doesn't have to be the trade deadline when he gets traded. And of course, I mean, we've gone through that. It doesn't have to be the trade deadline. 
But to me, the more you entertain the likelihood of holding on to him longer into the season, I think it signifies, you know, the most obvious one is you want to get the value you want to make the deal, and you're not budging until you do that. That's the first, the most obvious thing. The second thing, I think you want to see if you can keep him. Yeah. Because if if the offseason goes on, different things happen, maybe there's a team that's interested, but they go somewhere else. Agents get a lay of the land. If you don't feel like next year he's going to get the contract he really wants, does it make sense to walk away from what Vancouver is offering? So, so the longer Vancouver entertains the idea of holding on to him, I think it signifies that their desire to keep him is still there. You know, like there's a real desire to keep it if they can make it work. But can you make it work? Can you make it work with JT? It still seems so hard. Um, and it's, it still seems like the riskier bet. You know, six and a half over three years for, for Brock. Is that a safer bet than eight and a half over six years for JT? Which is cl- like that's not even fifty million bucks. Well, I mean, so, so well, no, it is over fifty million. It's you know, just I've, over fifty. I've million. said for a long time I don't see Vancouver paying JT eight million or more, and that was really the understanding. But that was also before JT put up ninety nine points by the end of the season. Yeah. And how much does that change the calculus for Vancouver? And that's something that we don't know yet. You know, maybe well, they weren't willing to. Now you look at it, and you're you're looking at the lay of the land, other contracts, what's going on. You're like, you know what? Maybe it makes sense if we can keep the term to six or five years potentially. I don't think they have any interest in doing seven. But would you do would, would would Vancouver go to eight times six to make that type of an offer? I mean, again, that's an offer that would make a player think. And that's something that I don't think Vancouver really would want to do before. If they do it now, that just shows you how badly they want to keep the player. That's uh, that's a forty eight million dollar deal, close to fifty million. Get close to fifty million. I you, the only way you're getting JT under eight million right now is if you give him. Seven or eight years. Yeah, and what has Friedman been saying? Term, term, term. That's the problem. Yeah. What's a number that uh, Rutherford's thrown out when talking about Six. a JT deal? Six. You it's think about, obvious. you know, you, you kind of project it out as the first three years of the deal are really when you're getting the prime player and the back three half is is when you start to worry about it a yeah. little bit. Yeah, and maybe he's still productive enough that you, you feel okay with it. Yeah. But you have to bake that into the discussion. You do seven, you, you're banking on that, se- that seventh year to be a disaster. You're hoping that the, you can get through the first five and then that you handle the sixth year. Yeah. That's kind of your best case when you sign that six-year deal. A seven, you're you're assuming that two of those years are going to be bad. That's tough to accept right now for a team that's trying to clear its picture long-term. Uh, Marcus and Gibson's, if Brock signs for three years, he's not only betting on himself, he's betting on the cap yeah. going up. That's a smart point there from Marcus in Gibson's love uh, some of the texts coming in at the Dunbar lumber text message inbox. It's um, it's a really curious situation that the Canucks find themselves in, but given Brock's July 2nd date, he's got the earliest deadline Brock yeah. Besser does. So we're going to get something over the next week and a bit when it comes to what's happening with Brock Besser. It's funny. Cause uh, I mean, there isn't a ton going on. People want updates. It's an update, a bit of a non-update update, but I think as we kind of been outlining, it tells you a lot about the dominoes and what order they're kind of been being positioned in. And there's a lot of work being done. Yes. You know, um, I would imagine there's a lot of work being done by the Vancouver Canucks and a lot still happening even after the Kuzmenko signing. Uh, so we're going to talk about last night's Stanley Cup final game uh, with Justin Bourne coming up after five o'clock. Uh, it was a fascinating finish, and the aftermath was 
probably the most interesting part of it all. But we'll get to that coming up in hour number two of the show. An interesting spot that the Winnipeg Jets find themselves in sat. Pierre-Luc Dubois does not want to stay in Winnipeg long term. According to report, he is not willing to stay in Winnipeg beyond his current contract, which makes him an unrestricted free agent at the end of the 2024 season. Mark Scheifele, there's been a lot of rumors around him. Now, you know, it's one of those things, there's no trade requests here, but it seems like everybody kind of wants out of Winnipeg. And Blake Wheeler, (laughs) as we know, is on the block as well. How much are the Jets a player in this year's offseason? Uh, man. So I look at Winnipeg, and if if you're moving all three of those guys, are you not going full rebuild, essentially? Don't you trade Hellebuck, too? Yeah. You're going scorched earth. Like, what do you have left after that? You got Morrissey, Ehlers, and Connor. Yeah, those are your three guys, and you and you try to cycle it up for another th- few years, and then you get going. Yeah. I don't know if they're going to trade all three of those guys, though. Is, is that what Winnipeg is going to do? Winnipeg's been the most conservative organization we've seen. They hold on to PLD for sure. They try to play it out, see if they can change his mind, do what they did with Jacob Truba, and hope that he's either willing or they wait till the last year of his deal to make the move. But Pierre-Luc Dubois is a really interesting guy because, I don't know, he didn't get on in Columbus He's obviously not getting on in Winnipeg, has been a pretty good player, had some ups and downs. He feels like a guy that he's got a place in mind where he wants to play, Mm -hmm. and he's going to make sure he gets to free agency as soon as possible in order to do that. Yeah, and I think it also, I think the biggest thing is he doesn't want to play in Winnipeg. Yeah. He didn't want to play in Columbus. He he was okay to get out of Columbus because of everything that was going on. Yeah. And because of his dad being in Winnipeg, I think he was okay with going there and getting the hell out of Columbus. He has no desire to stay in there long term. Yeah. I mean, Winnipeg's not really a desirable place to be. Not from, you know, the obvious no. city detractions, but like where the team is right now and where they are in their cycle. And I think from what I've heard about PLD, and this is not a criticism. If anything, I think it's it's a positive thing. I think he wants to be in a bigger spot. Yeah. He wants to be in a big market. Yeah, and I think he wants he wants what goes with that as well. You know, and I think that's not not a bad thing necessarily. And if he comes to say let's say for argument's sake, Vancouver makes a trade for PLD, I don't think he's going to be holding that same stance about wanting to get the free agency. Mm. Or like say he goes to Toronto or let's say he goes to a contender or a good team or or a yeah. nice market or something. So you'd I, be I willing to take that risk on PLD. With two year two years out from free agents, I, th- I think you can get an understanding talking to them about. Yeah. I, I think I mean it depends on what you're doing. Who who are you trading for PLD? I mean they, you have to be reasonable. I mean you can't do the Miller PLD thing because no. Winnipeg's in the same spot you are with yeah. JT Miller and he's older. What about Brock? Does that move the needle for Winnipeg? You look at the production, similar, uh, very similar, different positions. Obviously, yeah. you can you know you would have to add something else onto it. You know, you don't have picks. You're not trading picks. I think anything, like when it comes to the Canucks acquiring anything, it has to be a hockey trade. Yeah. Because they, they don't want to move futures. They don't want to move prospects. Now, let's say for argument's sake, let's say you can't keep JT, you trade him for futures, but you need a center because you want you want somebody else. Would you do a Niels and Besser hypothetically for PLD? Hoaglander and Besser for PLD. And then you sign him and now you have your three centers. 
I mean, is is that even feasible? Because yeah, I mean, I've had people ask me about PLD, so I want to you know ask the question: Is there a fit there or not? Because we're going to have this exercise throughout the offseason. We talk to different teams about different teams. Is there a fit? What's going on? Can Vancouver make a trade with them? My problem with Pierre Luc Dubois, when we've seen him play at his best, he's one hell of a player. I think back to that series Columbus had against the Leafs and think about how he played in that series as one of the big reasons Columbus upset the Leafs in that series, that play-in round a couple of years ago. I just don't see that Pierre-Luc Dubois enough and haven't seen that Pierre-Luc Dubois enough over the last couple of years. Yeah, Even in Winnipeg this year, you know, it was it was some ups and downs. The numbers kind of returned, but you know, he he really looked like a guy that was strong both ways, and I don't know if I've seen that since that, that playing round against the Leafs. Yeah, and it's been a while since you've seen that from him. And I think, it, but here's the spot you're at. If you're looking at a guy like Brock Besser, for instance, mm-hmm. you got to take a gamble with the trade you're making if you're trading him. Yeah. And that's why, ultimately, if you're trading him, I think it comes down to you're, you want to make space because you're signing JT and Bo. Otherwise, the value's not there in a Brock Besser trade. And whatever you do with a Brock Besser trade, you're taking a bit of a risk one way or another, whether it's the value not being there or you're giving up the better player in the trade, or you're trading for somebody that, like you said, hasn't shown that peak for a couple of years yet, and you're hoping that he re- re- reignites that. Uh, it is Canuck Central, Dan Richo and Satyar Shah. Eric Francis is going to join us. His take on what uh, Calgary's offseason is going to look like, because they've got some major question marks as well. What is going to happen with Johnny Gaudreau? What is going to happen with Matthew Kachuk, who could take his qualifying offer and then just walk to unrestricted free agency? It's an interesting season in Calgary coming up. More on your Canucks as well. It is Canuck Central on Sportsnet 650. Canuck Central, we are a presentation of your local Grip Auto entire location. Friendly service and expert advice are waiting for you at gripauto.ca today. Uh, a lot on Brock Besser there. That was fun. It was. It's fun talking Canucks and hockey. You'd think we get tired of it sometimes, but that was actually <laughs> a lot of fun. We are two weeks out from the draft, Sat. I know, it's exciting. So as much as uh, the Tampa Bay Lightning are now on the brink and the Stanley Cup Final is almost over, it can only mean that there is a lot of offseason about to happen. And all these trades and discussions we've been having, well, we really get to see how right or how wrong we've been on all of them. Well, I mean, uh, the funny thing, too, is um, you'll start looking at the players that are available this year yeah, in the free agent market. It's actually not a bad class. It is a pretty good class. I mean, it's kind of top-heavy. There is not a lot of depth in it, but nope. it's actually a pretty good class top-heavy-wise. You start looking at next year's class, mm. not as good. <laughs> but uh, Matthew Kachuk does headline it yeah. at the age of 25 if he gets there. And that's a big storyline with the Calgary Flames. Does he get himself to UFA? Yeah. Could he take the QO? Yeah. Uh, well, uh, to uh, let us in on what might happen with this Flames offseason – Eric Francis joins us now. Thanks for this, Eric. How's it going? Oh, I'm great. How are you guys? Uh, we're doing now. Uh, we're doing fantastic. Wondering what the Canucks are up to. Wondering what other teams in the Pacific uh, might be up to uh, this off season. The Flames obviously have uh, 
and they got a lot of big question marks. The biggest one being uh, being Johnny Gaudreau. Uh, what uh, what do you think's going to happen with Johnny Hockey this summer? Oh man, it's the the million or the ten million dollar question in Calgary. Yep. I, I, you know, I I've been on record for many years saying that I didn't think Johnny Gaudreau would resign in Calgary, but but I, but my opinion changed about a year ago. Uh, well, I guess six months ago. Anyway, with the season he just had, um, you know, I think that everybody looks at things differently now. Like the, certainly the Calgary Flames, who were trying to trade Johnny Gaudreau, or they were shopping him last year just to see what they might be able to get. Um, I think with the season he just had to, 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 you know, rebound back into superstar status, I think the team is now pretty much resigned to opening up their bank and paying whatever it is that's market value for this guy. Uh, I don't think they would have said that a year. I know they wouldn't have said that a year ago. So I think that's changed. And I think, you know, Gaudreau just scored a pretty iconic goal in this franchise's history. Uh, that game seven overtime winner against Dallas. And I know it's just the first round, but it was a pretty big deal around here to get over that hump. And uh, I, I don't know. I, I guess to answer your question a little more succinct, succinctly, I, I, I do think he will resign here. I think he'll sign an eight year deal for about $10 million each year. And I, I'd be hard pressed to believe that there's another team in the league that would want to pay that sort of money, given the fact that they can only offer seven mm-hmm. years and to try and offer that same sort of money. I, I, I don't see teams offering, you know, $11.5 million a year for Johnny Gaudreau. Um, I, I just, I'd be shocked. I, I, teams don't have the cap. Teams don't have the wherewithal. Um, I, I think he'll resign in Calgary. I think he loves it here, and I think that's where he wants to stay. But And, and because he hasn't signed so far this year, that doesn't mean that, uh-oh, there's trouble mm-hmm. at the ranch. I think it's just Johnny Gaudreau, every day he waits, um, he, he holds more and more leverage over the Calgary Flames, so I don't blame him for waiting as long as he possibly can to sign this deal. Well, I mean, you're right, because instead of it being maybe, say, 9.5, maybe you get it up to 9.8 per year, or 9.9, or even 10 per year by waiting and forcing Calgary's hand a little bit. And I think the question would be, as good as Johnny Goudreau was this year, 115 points, career year, and he's had you know some other good years too, but he also had the previous two not quite at that same level. Would you feel confident in that investment with him living up to that? <laughs> well, it's a great question. I, I I think that the confidence level got raised this year. Mm-hmm. Listen, the the, the storyline around Johnny Gaudreau up until a month ago was always, well, great player, one of the best playmakers in the game in the last couple decades, uh, but always disappears in the playoffs when the game gets tighter, tougher, Pace becomes more at a premium, uh, but I, I he had a pretty good playoff this year. He didn't his play didn't drop off as dramatically as it has in past years. So I think people seeing that him being a difference maker in the playoffs uh, to some degree, I think people are a lot more confident, thinking, well, yeah, you have to keep Johnny Gaudreau now. And and the other argument that I always throw out there to people because yeah, every owner wants to win a Stanley Cup, but. Every owner also wants to get into the playoffs and sell a ton of jerseys in the 82-game span that leads up to it. And Johnny Gaudreau does that for you. He sells more jerseys than anybody in this city, and he's also the big driver to get you into the playoffs. So, yeah, even if he's not the kind of guy you could win a cup with, he can sure take you pretty far along the way and sell a lot of jerseys along the way. 
Yeah, and as 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 much as Johnny Gaudreau is a major question mark, you know they they do have the the Matthew Kachuk question mark too. He's a year out from unrestricted free agency, and you know that line with Lindholm, Kachuk, and Gaudreau, uh, arguably the best line in hockey through the regular season, if not uh, without an argument, they were that that good. Uh, but what happens with Matthew Kachuk, Eric? Well, I don't I don't think anyone in Calgary needs to or or is worrying about him you know, in terms of returning next year. I mean, he's got the Flames still on him for one more year of uh, restricted free agency. I'd be pretty surprised if it didn't just play out as simply as they send him the qualifying offer of $9 million, he accepts it, and uh, and then he walks into or gets close to unrestricted free agency next year. Whether the Flames would consider trading him at the trade deadline, um I think a lot would depend on how their season goes next year. It would depend on whether Johnny Gaudreau is back. Um, you know, I don't see a scenario where Matthew Kachuk and Matt and Johnny Gaudreau are both back here two years from now. I don't. I I'd be stunned if that ever happened. I just I don't think I've never believed that Kachuk was going to stay in Calgary past the term of this. You know, his restricted free agency. So I think he'll sign the QO. I think he'll be in the fold this year. You know, again, the big question is, will his line mate Johnny Gaudreau be out there with him? And and I think that seriously shapes the way things move forward next year for Matthew Kachuk. It means there's less money to sign him long-term, um, but also it acts as a real uh, attractive selling point for Kachuk. You know, would he want to come back if Johnny Gaudreau's not here? I don't know. He certainly wasn't getting 104 points this year without Johnny Gaudreau. He's probably a 75, 80 point guy without Johnny Gaudreau. So I don't know. That one's a, a real fast thing, but we got a lot of time to try and figure that one out. But I, he'll start next season with the Calgary Flames. I, that much I can tell you. Well, I, I, the really interesting thing about Matthew Kachuk, because, you know, the Kachuk brothers and that family is wired differently. Now we saw, uh, obviously, Brady commit long term to that big contract to stay with Ottawa. But does Matthew really want to get to UFA at the age of 25, which is almost unprecedented? To be a high-level player, superstar-level guy, that's a UFA at 25, is something we don't see in the National Hockey League. You never see it, and I've always submitted that you know he, he has a toolbox that nobody else in the National Hockey League has. The only guy I could ever really compare him to is Brad Marchand, but he's far bigger than Marchand. Uh, he'll fight more than Marchand will. Um you know, Marshawn's more prolific, but <laughs> the season Matthew Kachuk has had, he's a 100-point guy now, too. So I, 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 to get to unrestricted free agency at age, I think it'd be 26 for Matthew Kachuk with a 100-point season under his belt, with the future, you know, so bright ahead of him and him being uh, obviously a leader, a guy who you can lean on for so many different things. Um, I think he would love, absolutely love, to go into unrestricted free agency and start shattering some records in terms of uh, contracts. Now, I'm not saying he'll be the highest-paid guy of all time. You know, with the cap being stagnant and all that, that won't be the case. But I think that he's the kind of guy who would love, uh, and and it's a very business-minded family, uh, I think they would all cherish that opportunity. And so I think that he's hell-bent on getting there. Eric Francis, our guest. So, you know, these massive questions looming over Brad for living, of course. But, you know, second round this year, they, they, they really had a strong season. They're going to be a little bit more capped out this off season and going into next year. How does how does Brad for living make this team better to get them that much further through the Stanley Cup playoffs? Well, it, it the big question, of course, is Gaudreau. If you sign Gaudreau, then you got the t- you know as you you said, 
um, you know, arguably the top line in hockey back together again next year. And, uh, and, and your second line will be intact as well. And like, it's pretty much the same team as last year. You still got your star goaltender. Um, but, you know, I think if you don't get control or you do get him, either way, where GMs really, really, you know, can be the, the difference maker in a good or bad way is filling in those gaps, right? Like, he went out and got Nikita Zadorov last year and Erica Branson. And I know people in this city and around the league, I think, were kind of chuckling, going, oh, boy. That's going to be an adventure on the back end for the Calgary Flames. Well, those two guys were two of their best, I don't want to say two of their best players, but they were important parts of the Calgary Flames' identity this year. And so I think both of those guys had such good years that they've priced themselves out of the market in Calgary. Um, So the question is, can you fill in those gaps again with underpriced guys whose stocks may be on the wane? Um, So I think it'll be a very similar team to last year give or take a Johnny Gaudreau, which of course changes everything. Um, it's how you fill in those gaps because you don't, you're going to have a whole lot less money to fill in your fifth and sixth defenseman and your, your eighth, ninth and 10th forwards. It, they're going to have to lean on their, on their minor league system. And the good news there is, you know, their minor league club, the AHL affiliate in Stockton this year was one of the best in the American hockey league. So mm-hmm. the Flames finally, after many, many years of being terrible in that regard, finally have some youngsters they can, count on to make the team coming out of camp well and, and that's the in- interesting thing despite the fact they've made a lot of trades and traded draft picks they still have a pretty good prospect pool they still have some assets for futures and that's why even if they don't keep johnny goudreau that's a team that has some you know ammunition to go out and make something big happen if they really want to still and that kind of brings us to vancouver to some extent because we even heard last year that at times calgary would have been interested in jt miller in the event they can't keep johnny goudreau do you think that's a team that would come calling on a player like that oh i think yeah i mean i think the world of jt miller and i I think every team you know would would certainly take a look at trying to get him look you know miller would be such an important tool for this team moving forward especially if they lost to johnny gaudreau um yeah so to answer your question yeah i think they absolutely would look at that and yeah they do have some of the young assets that maybe it would take to land a guy like that but you guys know how hard it is to trade in your division um with with apologies to the edmonton oilers who of course they renewed that ball of alberta this year and it was it was great for the whole hockey world to see it um prior to that playoff series i still think the number one um the number one rival the calgary flames is still the vancouver canucks i, I still think that's the way the franchise looks at them i think the fans look at it that way and i know the games are not that is highly contested anymore because the two organizations were kind of going in different directions this year, but uh, it would be really hard, I think, for the Flames to pull off a trade yeah. with a team that is still so hated in this market and vice versa. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it'd be a hard one to pull off. We know Vancouver set a really, really high price on it. Uh, before we let you go, we did want to ask you about Chris Tanev and you know what his status might be for next year despite all the injuries he's kind of been through this year and just overall, uh, the year he's had and what he's meant to the Calgary Flames. Is it overstating things, saying that he's been one of the biggest reasons that team has been able to come together, especially defensively. hundred percent, hundred percent, you know, and I'm sure people in Vancouver never could have fathomed that that would be the case when he left Vancouver, because I think that the book that I got from talking to, uh, you know, your colleagues and stuff in Vancouver was it's kind of a broken down old version of, of the former Chris Tanev that the Calgary Flames were getting. Well, he's a warrior. Um, 
you know, you guys remember the Calgary Flames lost their Norris Trophy winning defenseman last year. Everyone, the whole question going into last season was how they're going to replace the minutes and the leadership and the offense of Mark Giordano. Well, the group went from being the 23rd highest scoring defensive group in the league two years ago with Giordano to being the third highest scoring defensive core in the league this year, which is an amazing turnaround. They did it by committee and they did it with the guy being the leader, which was, which was Chris Tanev. Now I wasn't the guy who voted for Tanev to win the uh, Norris. There was one, somebody voted. It wasn't me. I just want to go on the record. (laughs) I think very highly of him, but that's a little ridiculous that someone voted with their fifth vote. Um, But he, he was, he was everything to this organization. And then your, your question was, when's he coming back? It sounds like this surgery that he's, uh, that he underwent after the season was so significant that he's going to miss the first, uh, little while of the season this year. So that'll be a huge hole for this organization because they lean so heavily on him as a leader, as their best defenseman, as their best penalty killer. Um, just, it was, it was our colleague here, Thomas Trance. You just knew it had to be somebody from Vancouver, right? Like that, that voted for Tanev. Yeah, yeah. he did. Yeah. I, I mean, and uh, I think Frank Cervalli posted uh, all the voters too. So I mean, nobody oh, can get yeah. nobody can escape it anymore. <laughs> you know, uh, you can't hide. You can't hide. Uh, I, and I, I'm glad people are cognizant of that when they're making their votes now. It holds us holds everyone to far more accountability than than just voting for your hometown players. So yeah, that's funny. Okay, yeah. I'll have to mention that to Thomas. That's funny. <laughs> so um. Before we let you go, I, I want to get your take on the uh, on the goal last night. The too many men call that was missed. You know, it, uh, it we know Calgary season kind of ended on a questionable call, right? The Blake Coleman <laughs> yeah. uh, no goal, right? Did he kick it in or did he not kick it in? One of those things. It's I, I mean, it, at the end of the day, like these controversial calls, they just seem to happen too often uh, in, in this league, Eric. At least for me. And last night. I mean, that's, that's as black and white as it gets for a too-many-men call. Well, did you guys see that? Well, there's a photo on Twitter where it's a, they, it shows the six skaters for the avalanche, but at that point it also shows seven skaters on the ice. <laughs> yeah. the Tampa Bay. So, I don't know. Yeah, I hate, I hate when these games end with controversial calls. Nobody likes that, especially the league. Um, yeah, I guess it's black and white in terms of you know, the, the letter of the law. So I guess they blew it, but I don't know. Did it matter that much? I, yeah, I guess it did. I, I don't know. I hate it. I, I don't really want to weigh in too heavily on it. Um, I just saw that one photo afterwards and thought, <laughs> Oh, the irony is rich that Tampa Bay is going to complain as they should, you know, he, he did leave the bench way too early, but it, they had seven guys on. I've always thought guys, that's such a ticky tack penalty to call. I, I think it's, I think it's gross that, we, you know, every time, how many times do we watch a game and a team clears the puck out of the zone and it hits a guy's skate just as he's leaving the ice yeah. and the crowd goes nuts. Oh my God, too many men. Like really, did that really affect the play? Um, now this was a guy who jumped on the bench way too early and scored the goal because of it. Yeah. So it's so, so much more egregious. So I don't know. At the end of the day, I just, having spent a lot of time talking to Coley Campbell and Mike Murphy who are in that that room, you know, I took them after the Blake Coleman call, and I disagree with the call they made on that one. But hey, those guys have such a tough job, and that wasn't a reviewable situation. So those guys are off the hook. 
the officials aren't, and it's such a tough job. I don't know. I, just, I don't want to come down on anybody because it's so hard. I mean, the Coleman kick, that was a review, and they still got it wrong, so I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <it's, laughs> and the thing that sucked about the Coleman, hey, hey the Flames were going to lose that series anyway, and so yeah. I don't want to sound like a homer, but um, the, the Flame thing that really sucked about it for the league to me is that the goal, the puck was going in. Yeah. Like, if Coleman doesn't touch it, it's clearly going in. And, and to rule that it was that, you know, that it was conclusive, that it was a kick. I mean, you could have just ignored that and just said, uh, you know what, we, it's not conclusive and the puck was going in anyway, so let's let it count. I thought the league was all about promoting goals and not trying to take them away. Yeah. Anyway, we're not going back. To <laughs> People in Calgary will go back to that for the next 30 years. We don't have to revisit it right now. A hundred percent. Eric, always appreciate the time. Thanks. This was a lot of fun. Hey, cheers, guys. Cheers, Summers. Yeah, you too. Uh, there is uh, Eric Francis. Yeah, I mean, so my thoughts on it is it wasn't egregious. I don't, I don't see how you say it's not egregious. Well, how was it egregious? I mean, it wasn't like we're not Padre talking. gets into a prime position. Yeah, he gets into a prime position. Before McKinnon is even close to being off the it's, ice. It's not that far. I mean, we're talking about, what, seven feet? We're not talking about, you know, he's, he's engaged in the play. He's getting in somebody's way or whatever. Kadri's like, on the ice for like five seconds before McKinnon got off. It's not that bad. I don't find it to be that bad. I mean, he's skating off. He's not involved in the play at all. You know what I mean? Like, he's not engaged. Sometimes you see he's too many He's not men. involved, but the player that replaced him is already handling the puck yeah, before but, he's off the ice. But that does happen, like, numerous times in a game. Numerous times in a game. So, like, do we want to call the too many men to that degree? Then yes, then that can be your argument. Like we got, you got to be, you, we have to have like a hard line on too many men. Anytime too many men, we got to call it. If that's your basis, then yeah, it's a bad call. But it's not how it gets it's, called. It's not even about having a hard line. It's if there's a clear advantage gained by the team with too many men on the ice, I want it to be called. And Kadri is in that spot. He's able to gain the, the the blue line with speed while Tampa's on their heels and. Before even McKinnon is off the ice, there's a clear advantage yeah. gained for Colorado there that wouldn't happen if Kadri doesn't jump on the ice well before McKinnon is even close to making the change coming off. That's that's my only thing, and that's the thing with with overtime. Like I'm I'm okay with you letting stuff go, but if there is a clear advantage gained in terms of we're able to score a goal because of a hook or a pick or something like that that directly leads to a scoring chance, I want that called. If you directly take away a scoring chance from me in overtime, I want that called. I can live with stuff that happens in the neutral zone that maybe doesn't really impact a scoring play here or there, but if you are directly impacting a chance to score a goal, I think that needs to be called. Yeah, I mean, the thing to me is the the, the clips that are like, aha, these are the, these are the gotcha clips, they're not that bad. Yeah. The one that you see from the bench where Cardry jumps out, it's a second and a half by the time McKinnon gets there. Yeah. Like, it's not that long. We're not talking about, like, this long process. Like, it's, you know, when you slow it down, you see it like that, it's really easy to say it takes a real long time to do it. My bigger question here is, and it comes down to overall with review, do you want to have review or not? Mm-hmm. And what and what is your arbitrary basis of review? What are you reviewing? Like, arbitrarily, you can, you can challenge for offside, but you can't challenge for too many men. Yeah. You can challenge for this, you can't challenge for that. So w- what is the basis of the review? Like, I'm tired of the review. I'd rather get rid of it yeah. or like review uh, everything, but that takes too long. We, we, we've talked about this, that reviews take way too long. Last night, I'm not even sure 
what the solution is. Because how many of us noticed it in real time? How many of us noticed it right away that there was a too many men play there? That there was a too many men call? You you couldn't see it on TV because you couldn't see six abs players in the frame, right? Yeah. So it's really hard to to determine. But when the goal shows up on the on the game sheet and the abs have six players listed on the ice, ah, it's not a it's not a great look. No, it's not a great look. I, but I don't I don't know my personal view on it. I, that play happens so much in hockey. Like, there's so many times that happens on a goal. It's nothing new. We're, we're yeah. and, and we're making a huge deal about it right now in the moment. And I get it. The Stanley it's Cup a final. Stanley Cup final of game. Course. It essentially decides the series. I sack. understand. But what I'm saying is we we overreact to these things every single freaking time. And next year, you're going to have, do we review for too many men? Do you want to have, like, a five-minute review? These reviews are taking forever. Yeah. Each review takes, like, five minutes. I don't want no challenge BS or anything like that. I want the situation room, wherever it is. So you got to review everything. That means everything has to be reviewed. Are, are we reviewing everything when a goal happens? Is that what we want? I mean, the NFL does it for every touchdown. Yeah, and every I mean, turnover. you could. I mean, it takes a long time, though. Do you enjoy? Does it the always five? take a ton of time? For the most part, yeah. In the Cup final, I mean, in this playoffs, each review is taking at least a few minutes. Yeah. Some took took like six or seven, even like the Coleman goal. I remember I could have gone to the liquor store and back, <laughs> and they're still deciding <laughs> if it was a kick or not. But if you're doing every goal, like the the obvious goals are going to take like. 20, 30 seconds to review. Not even. Yeah. You know, like, it's just like, yeah, there's nothing wrong with this goal. Let's move on. Uh, I think it's fair to say. It, it wouldn't take that much longer to review if you right. did every goal. Yeah. I, th- I I just felt, the way I see it is, if that goal happens to your team in the Stanley Cup final, how are you feeling about it? Mm-hmm. Probably not great. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I never get too pissed about the too many men thing. Because I think I mean, anytime I'm at a Canucks game watching a game, I swear you can you can pick out at least five or six instances where you can call too many men. Yeah, it's uh, I, I don't know how you fix the too many men rule either, um, because as you say, teams have just gotten so accustomed to doing it this way and gaining that advantage. You know, we're actually going to talk to Justin Bourne about this. He's got a piece up at Sportsnet.ca uh, from when he was coaching in the AHL with the Toronto Marlies about how. Sheldon Keefe wanted situations like last night to play out where Tampa Bay is clearing the puck, trying to get that long change in as quickly as possible, and you are taking advantage of them being on heavy legs. Uh, bet on hockey like never before with Play Now Sports, your local BC sportsbook. Lightning are down 3-1. They've got a lot of injuries. Series is headed back to Denver, and the line reflects that. $2.50 for the Lightning on the money line for Game 5. Colorado heavy favorites. They are one fifty-six dollars uh, to take the series at home in Game 5. We'll have more on that game coming up as the show goes on, but Justin Bourne is next on Canuck Central.